So today we celebrate Pentecost, and uh, uh, thank you, Laurie, you filled in a lot of the blanks about uh, Pentecost for me. I can, I can shorten my sermon a little bit. Uh, I'll just... <laughs> I saw that coming, right? <laughs> uh, it is indeed one of the most remarkable things that happened the, the, about Pentecost is that it, it's a Jewish holiday that uh, was being celebrated in Jerusalem called Shavat. Uh, and it's still celebrated today. In fact, yesterday was the last day of Shavat, the the day of uh, the the I forget what it's called, but the the uh, festival of weeks, I guess, is what it's called. And it was a uh, it was the wheat harvest, but it was also the festival that celebrated the giving of the law. Something that the gospels constantly do throughout uh, all the writings, all four of them do this, is to reinterpret. Jewish festivals in light of the kingdom of God as Jesus has shared it. Just like uh, for in, in uh, you know, the Passover was reinterpreted into the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. And in addition to that, Luke here in what we're reading in Acts, uh, there is an intricate interweaving of the Jesus narrative with the Exodus story, right? Again, Passover, we celebrated Israel's deliverance from Egypt, but of course Jesus reinterpreted the significance of that story at the Last Supper. It becomes a day of remembrance for uh, all that Jesus had done for us. For the Christian, Pentecost comes 50 days after the resurrection, and for the Jew, it falls 50 days after the parting of the Red Sea, and it marks the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. This is when Chuck Heston you know, goes up and uh, the the hand, the finger of God, is, you know, the, the lightning comes down and the finger of God writes out the Ten Commandments on those big, uh, and, and carves out the stone tablets that Chuck Heston carries down and his hair is all, you know, does that whole thing with the gray and, and everything like that. That fire, that tongue of fire that came down uh, on the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai that wrote out all those things, that finger of God is what is called in Hebrew the Shekinah glory of God. It is the, the, the glorified presence of God in the fire, the Shekinah glory. Exodus 13 tells us that when, Isra- when the Israelites wandered out of Egypt, the presence of God came with them as a pillar of fire at night, so they could see where they were going, and as a cloud of smoke during the day. And that's the same Shekinah presence of the Lord that went with them as they journeyed, that same one that wrote those commandments out on a tablet. In Exodus 40, Moses built the tabernacle in the wilderness. And it goes on for, we're, we're doing Exodus in Bible study right now. The, the building of the temple in the, or the tabernacle in the wilderness goes on for like four or five chapters of, of, you know, minute detail. But one of the things that happens is once the tabernacle was built, it was filled with the presence of God. That, that pillar of fire moved from out in front of the ten, 12 tribes and out over the top of where the Holy of Holies was, where the Ark of the Covenant sat in the tabernacle in the wilderness. And then when the pillar of fire moved away from the tabernacle, the Israelites knew that it was time to pack up and move. And they would move you know, to a different neighborhood, and uh, they'd settle in there for a little while. They wandered around, did that for 40 years, 
following this pillar of fire. And then in 1 Kings 8, flip ahead a little bit, 1 Kings 8, when Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem upon its consecration, that same Shekinah glory of God came and moved out of the tabernacle and into the, over the top of the Holy of Holies in the temple that Solomon had built. It's recorded there in 1 Kings 8. And then that temple was destroyed in 586 CE by the Babylonians. And 70 years after the exiles returned, Ezra led a movement to rebuild the temple. And upon the dedication day, the priests got all dotted up. You know, they put on their best uh, robes and whatnot and had those little plates with all the jewels on it and everything. And uh, they consecrated the temple, but something was missing. It doesn't say anything about the Shekinah glory of God coming on the temple. Unlike Solomon's temple, there's no record of that expected Shekinah glory returning to the temple. It was a nice, humble little building, but God's presence was not there in the same way that it had been there for the Israelites in the wilderness or in the days before the exile. And in fact, if you read... Ezra and Nehemiah and all those, there's a lot of whining about how unimpressive the temple is, right? They're like, eh, it's all right, you know, but it's not, it's no Solomon's temple, I can tell you that, (laughs) you know. They were kind of disappointed. There's a lot of disappointment in the temple, and I think that disappointment stems from the fact that the Shekinah glory of God was not there as they expected. And even when the Maccabees, after so many people had taken over Jerusalem, even when the Maccabees wrested control of Jerusalem away from Antiochus Epiphanes IV, and they reconstructed the temple, there was still not that Shekinah glory of God. And even after Herod remodeled the temple, he spent billions of dollars of the taxpayers' money in order to make this glorious new temple, Herod's temple, the remains of which is the Wailing Wall right now. The the wall of Herod's temple is right there. That's all that's left of this glorious. They spent billions of dollars to remodel this whole temple and make it glorious. But what was missing was the Shekinah glory. And the best that Herod could do is he built these giant these giant bowls to stand around and they filled them with oil and they lit those suckers I doubt doubt they had a juggler like we did but they filled those suckers with oil and they lit it up and they lit up that temple kind of like the one we see all over the valley, right? (laughs) They lit it up as if to imitate the presence of God but it was not there's no imitating the Shekinah glory of God. Amen? All the light in the world does not match the Shekinah glory of God. And that, so there was, through the centuries, all the way up to the destruction of the temple in 70 CE by the Romans, the people of God waited with expectation at every festival of weeks, at every Shabbat, they waited for the glory of God to once again inhabit the temple. And that expectation was in the air as the festival of weeks, as Pentecost was celebrated in Jerusalem on that day. 
Only now the expectation was wrapped up in the idea of this great and terrible day of the Lord. A day when God would make all things right. A day that Joel described in his writings when God will pour out God's Spirit upon all flesh. And our sons and our daughters shall prophesy and our young men shall see visions and our old men shall dream dreams. And what Peter is saying here to those who are gathered and those who thought that these men were drunk is that today those expectations are fulfilled. They have been met. Whatever you were expecting all these centuries, all these years, all throughout your whole life watching this festival of weeks go on and on, year in and year out, whatever it is you were looking for, it's happened. The Shekinah presence of God has entered the temple at last. The day of the Lord has arrived at last. Once again, the Spirit guides the people of God. But this time, not from a pillar of light that goes on ahead, but from the Holy Spirit, that fire of Holy Spirit, that Shekinah glory of God that dwells within. Amen. Amen. What Pentecost represents in the book of Acts is fulfillment. It's fulfillment of all of those deep-rooted, built-into-their-DNA expectation. Fulfillment. The Spirit that fills our heart. The power of God's presence. The reversal of God's punishment in the Tower of Babel when God, for fear of what we might do, well-founded fear, I might say, but for fear of what we might do, confused our speech in order to keep us apart. And now God confuses our speech to bring us back together. Amen. Amen. A reversal of the punishment that happened at the Tower of Babel. Everyone hearing the good news of Christ in their own way. In ways that make sense to them. That brings clarity in the midst of the chaos. This cacophony of languages is going on. There's a violent wind. There's fire. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And in the middle of that, here I am. I'm, see, I'm hearing someone tell me clearly and plainly in my own vernacular in a way that I can understand in language that makes sense to me here's what God has for you in Jesus Christ out of the chaos a glorious moment of clarity no longer look for the Spirit of God to dwell in some building, in some location, somewhere else. The dwelling place of God is in here. Within the hearts of every child of God. For us, Pentecost represents this infilling of the Spirit that comes to every follower of Christ. Ah, but here's the rub. If the Spirit is not in some building somewhere... If the dwelling place of God is in you and in me, if the Shekinah glory we have been looking for lives within us, what does that mean for how we live our lives? What does that mean for how we inhabit this world? What does this powerful manifestation of the Spirit mean for you and me? 
Well, I think it means, first of all, that we have been called to live as the dwelling place of God's Spirit. I think we've been called to be the place where God lives. Which means that we are the ones who carry God in this world around. God doesn't live in a bush. God doesn't live in this building, beautiful as it is. If I were God, I would live here, but God doesn't. (laughs) God lives in you and me, and the only way the world knows God's presence is if we bring it. Amen? And so we're called to bring it. And we're called to carry that out into this world. And note that this is not, you know, this is not that touchy-feely kind of spirit either. This is no comforter in this verse, right? We, we have those verses where the Spirit of God is a comforter. But this one, Pentecost describes a passionate, earth-shaking presence of God. Tongues of fire, sound of rushing wind, chaotic noise of different languages all at once, all come together to paint an almost violent intercession of God. There are times when when our passion is called for, where that Holy Spirit stirs up inside of us. And we're called to be that Shekinah glory of God out into this world. And I, get, I think we're called to, to stir up that Holy Spirit within us in order that... I'd love to see a little more passion, i got to say, in the world around us. Amen. Thank you. I'd love to see a little more passion going around. Uh, and I suppose it's incumbent upon us as the church to stir that up a little bit. Another thing that it means for you and me, Pentecost means, is that the law that was once written on tablets of stone are now written in your hearts. Paul said, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live in God. You, you want to wonder, I get people asking me all the time, where's your, where's your statement of faith Where's your doctrinal statement? Where's your list of rules? Right? I want to know the list of rules so that I know when I'm in or I'm out and stuff like that. You know what? If you've been around here long, you know that First Baptist doesn't have a list of rules. And a lot of people mistake that for we don't have any kind of, you know, everything goes. I mean, it's like a big, you know, spiritual orgy around here and everything's just going crazy, Right? That's not true. The reason we do not have a doctrinal statement, the reason we don't have a dogma, the reason we don't even have a faith statement is because I count on the Holy Spirit to do that. It's the Holy Spirit that writes those laws upon your heart. It's the Holy Spirit that guides your step. Paul again tells us that if we are in step with the Spirit, we don't need the law. You don't need Pastor Curtis saying, oh, you shouldn't do that. You really shouldn't do that. Because the Holy Spirit... Now sometimes, I will tell you, sometimes the pastor, pastor Curtis is listening to the Holy Spirit and passing it on, right? So, <laughs> you know, there are, those, there are those moments. But you'll know those. You'll know when that happens. You'll know those kinds of things. So the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to impress those laws upon you. That is going to write those laws for you. That is going to guide you where you need to go. I don't have to spell it out. The Holy Spirit was. And in fact, what's nice about not having a list of things that you have to believe in order to be a part of this church is that you can articulate those in what? Your own language. Sounds like Pentecost to me. Articulate those things in your own language. Because what I might call 
well, you know, I have no problem calling Jesus my personal Lord and Savior who redeemed me and sanctified me and justified me before God. But, you know, someone else might be, might rather say, well, I've come, I've come to terms with, I've come, become in touch with the divine that's within me and, and I see through the lens of Christ a, a new kind of word. You know, I don't care what language you use. If it makes sense to you, if it draws you closer to God, I'm happy to have you, you do that and to, to, to get in touch with that spirit and let the spirit articulate your faith to you. And you might well ask the question, well, Pastor Curtis, how do I know when it's the Spirit talking, not just me trying to justify my own actions? You know what? I'm going to say something here that's going to undermine everything I just said. You don't. (laughs) You don't always know. You know what? This is not an exact science, what we're doing. Faith journeying through the world Faith journeying is not an exact science. It's stumbling. It's wrestling. It's trying to make sense out of a fog and a haze. It's trying our damnedest to reach into ourselves and find that spark of God's voice. It's trying to drown out the chaos and hear that clarity. Thank God we have each other. Amen? Thank God we have each other. Because we don't know. A lot of people say they know and and feel that confidence. You know, God bless them. But I doubt it. (laughs) Right? I'm comfortable with the fact that this isn't an exact science. Sometimes we're just wrestling our way through and we're trying to hear the voice of God and we're trying to follow and stay in step with the Spirit. And I guarantee you this, the more we try, the more we will. Amen? And you'll know it. That's my confidence. We'll all know it together when we're doing it. And we'll see the works of God manifest themselves within us. The disciples saw miracles. I see miracles all the time. A lot of you have seen miracles all the time. A lot of you have been miracles in my life. Amen. You know it when you see it. So don't worry about that. Don't worry if you don't know. Just do your best. And we'll help you along the way. Because here's the thing. The Spirit is calling out to each of us. God's not hiding somewhere. God is reaching out. God is at work and the Spirit is calling out to each of us. Giving us the good news in ways and language that we can understand. And calling us out to live as the incarnation of that good news. The things that we hear. We're called not just to hear it. Not just to hold it to ourselves. But to live it out. And Pentecost was that new day in the life of these disciples because, because of this, because of this day, because of this moment when they did experience this clarity in the midst of chaos. This, for the disciples, was the day that locked them in. They said, okay, I believe it now. I mean, I was, you know, Jesus was fun and all for those three years, and that was great. We did a lot of great things, and walking on water and all that was pretty cool. Then the crucifix and the resurrection, that was pretty cool. Uh, but I'm still, you know, I'm still kind of on the fence. Thomas doubted. Others probably did too. But this was the day when they locked it in and they said, you know what? 
this is the day. This is the day Peter hung up the fishing nets for good. And it was the day when those who were in Jerusalem, those who were, quote, drunk in the Spirit, became ministers and deacons and missionaries of Jesus Christ. Amen? And this was the day they sold all that they owned and they vowed to live out a new way. And this was the day that they gave up their connection to this world and began to live as foreigners in a foreign land. This was the day when they stopped holding back, trying to keep one foot in their old life while being dragged out into the new life. This was the day when they said, I'm not doing that anymore. This was the day when Jesus finally started to make sense. Ah, I get it. I get it now. He's not just a carpenter. There's more going on here. I'm talking kingdom of God. I get it now. Fisher of men. I see what you mean. Fisher of men. I thought that was, I didn't know what that was about. Now I get it. All of a sudden. And so on this Pentecost day, what is the Spirit saying to you? What are you being told to do? What am I being told to do? Is this the day when you stop holding back? Is this the day when you start a new life? Is this the day for new promises? New goals, new commitments, new transformations, new steps toward the Spirit of God, new lifestyles. Is this the day to really put yourself out there for God and mean it when you say, it's I, Lord, send me. Peter quoted Joel and said, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. This is us. We're old men. We're young men and women. We're slaves to so many things. This is us. We are called to dream dreams. We are the sons and daughters. I mean, prophesy by observing the world we live in and recognize that it is not the kingdom of God and then to strive to make it so. That's what prophesying is about. It's about saying, wait a minute, something's wrong here. And then doing everything you can to make it right. It's my prayer that on this Pentecost Sunday, we all feel the burn of God God's Shekinah glory within our hearts. And I pray that it is emboldening you and empowering you to fulfill that which God has called you to. To be the dwelling place of God and to live out the kingdom of God in our everyday. Let us pray. Loving God, we sons and daughters and old men and old women, we come expecting Your Holy Spirit to be at work inside of us. Lord, help us to allow that same Spirit to inscribe the law in our hearts that we might live out that kingdom of God in the way You intended us to. 
And may it be a shining, glorious light to the rest of the world that they may also know Your Spirit, Your grace, Your love. We dedicate ourselves anew to You on this Pentecost. Thank You that You are faithful and You are ever-present through that same Spirit. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.